So Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen and amen. So we're kind of working sort of, kind of, sort of through the the book of 1 John. And uh, for the last seven weeks, we've been in chapter one. (laughs) Oh boy. Um, For those of you who weren't at the Grange with us, it took us 68 weeks to get through the gospel of John. So I think we can cut that in half for this one. So we're on a roll. And if you were here last week, if you battled the weather, you may have left here uh, maybe not quite feeling the wind beneath your wings. Um, though I don't think it was kind of a beat-em-up type of a sermon in any way. There wasn't, there wasn't much fire and brimstone kind of thrown out there. But we talked about sin. And the topic of sin is never, it's, it's never a feel-good thing. The topic of sin isn't, it isn't inspiring to go out and to change the world. But it's important. And it's important that we understand it and we know it. It's important that we understand our relationship to it because we are all intimately involved in sin. We know it and it knows us. And so the first thing we kind of pushed at kind of walk through is this idea of of walking in darkness, which we said was a posture of of a person's heart or the atmosphere of our soul. To walk in darkness is to is to think wrongly about God. Or not to think of him at all. To walk in darkness means that you have no relationship with him, that you don't care about things that are eternal and sacred from him. To walk in darkness would be to define him in our own terms, to create a God in our own image, a God that's comfortable and just kind of fits well into the lifestyle that we want to lead, a God that is not going to ask or demand anything of me that I really don't want to do. He's a comfortable God, but that means that we're walking in darkness. To walk in darkness is to have the attitude of all I need to be is a good person. And then it'll be okay. Then everything will be good. But the scriptures tell us that's part of walking in darkness. It is to not walk in the truth of how God has revealed himself to us through this book. That's walking in darkness. And then we kind of moved on to us. And we kind of we kind of wrestled with with our own selves. Remember that John introduced us to uh, the character and nature of God. That God is light, and in Him there is no darkness. But then it's not so much for us. And we we wrestled with the idea of that we have this this nature that lives within us, and it's a sin nature, and it's there it's there in all of us, and. <laughs> It's the reason why that we don't do the things that we want to do, at least not consistently, and we end up doing the things that we don't want to do, even more consistently. It's because this thing lives within, it lives inside us, that we, we have the propensity in our lives to take something and make it more important than God. 
And we do it over and over and over again. We have in us the, the, the ability to walk in darkness for all of our lives. And then as we, as we kind of move through this idea about us, we said, well, when we come to the to terms with this nature that lives within us, then we need to come to terms with the fact that we need to be forgiven. We need forgiveness. If you think that you can be good enough in the eyes of God that he is going to forgive you, then you deny Christ, you deny the cross, you deny the entire gospel, and you invite, you invite death. You invite death into your own life, and you invite death for eternity. <laughs> now, if that ain't some fire and brimstone right there, I don't know what is. But this is who we are. This is, this is, this is what we are in, engaged in. See, the truth is, it's Christ and Christ alone that can forgive and heal that sinful nature. I believe what I said to you all was, you're just a bunch of broken and messed up people. Me too. But there's a but. I promise this one don't stink. There's a but. Come on, that was funny. I worked on that one all night. Sin doesn't have the final say. Sin does not have the final say. Our sinful nature doesn't have the final say because we have been given Christ. And we can walk in forgiveness and we can walk in light and we can walk in his righteousness. See, that's the hope that we have. And so we're going to get back to the texts that we're working through. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now, always keep in mind that John wants to put the rubber to the road. He wants to be very practical. He is concerned with, he is concerned with our fellowship with God. He's concerned with our relationship with God. And so it's important that he establishes the things that are going to interrupt or come in between of our relationship with him. And that thing is, is sin. And last week we looked at 6, 8, and 10, those verses, and those are kind of the negative side of what John is speaking to. But now we get to the positives. Now we're going to look at two verses, and they're verses 7, which says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son purifies us from all sin. And verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If if you notice in these verses, there is some ownness on us. There is some responsibility for us in these verses. Now, we know that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that nothing happens outside of him knowing, allowing, ordaining, whatever words you want to use. But we have to take responsibility for our lives. 
And this is what John is getting at. We can see here that there's something in our relationship that, that we're responsible for. It says, if, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, if we walk in the light, there is our posture. There is our interior posture that we are walking in the light. And look at God's side of it. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So our part is to walk in the light. God's part is he purifies us from all sin. And then the next uh, verse nine, if we confess our sins, there's, there's the posture of our heart. There's our interior life. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive our sins. There's God's part. That he is faithful, he is just, he will purify us from all unrighteousness. There's, there's the activity of God and there's the activity of we. Fellowship is a relationship and there's always two parts to a relationship. There's always our part and the other person's part. And they kind of co-mingle together. That's what makes a relationship. And so why would it be any different with our relationship with God, with our fellowship with him? There's a, there's a co-mingling of us and him. There are things that are taking place in the spiritual inside of us. And there's things that God has promised to give us when we walk with him. It's It's... The relationship isn't just a mechanical response. It's not just a set of systems that we just kind of put in place and we, and we follow this, this point progression thing on the map. It's the relation. It's, I hate to use the word organic because organic was, you know, the big word five, eight years ago. Everything was organic, organic church, organic this. And, and I even got caught up in that, but I'm better now. Thank you. But, but it is organic. It's, it's this organic living thing. And we can't, we can't separate it out to have fellowship. It has to be united. It has to be working in, synch in synchronicity with each other. It's kind of like the human body. I mean, we can, we can dissect this body of ours and we can just kind of take parts and pieces and understand it and look inside and figure out what's going on. I mean, the hand itself, I mean, there's fingers and there's knuckles and there's joints and there's this thumb over here and there's muscles and there's tendons and, and it kind of all works together. In fact, it's so complex that there are surgeons that just, just work on the hand. But yet, if I cut this hand off from my body, it ends up being worthless. And so I can't separate it out. And it's kind of like with our relationship with the Lord, there's, there's certain things that need to take place and work together. Just like the whole body is kind of working together. And, and so is my outfit this morning. But, you know, that's beside the point. And, and, and so we, we are in this fellowship relationship with God that's living and vibrant and personal but there's our responsibility in it, and there's his promise. Now, I will say this, that when you take a set of verses like this out of 1 John, it's really important to take the verses in context of how they've been written. You need, we need to take them as, as a whole. Now, remember, John writes kind of, he's kind of messed up in his writing. He, he's, uh, he starts, he stops, he gets down these rabbit trails, and he comes back. It's, it's a little spiral, so you have to kind of dig deeper under the hood to see really what's going on. Now, this text here is a very popular one uh, to, 
to kind of try to explain the, the theologies of justification and sanctification. Now, those are really big theological terms, and they're actually not John's words at all. Paul loves those words because Paul was wicked smart, and so he liked to use those words more. But John and Paul would be saying the same thing here. And justification is, is very simply that, that we're made right with God, where we've been forgiven, and, and like it's, it, it's gone, you know, like, like our, our crime that we committed has been, we've been pardoned from it and we walk in freedom. And sanctification is this idea of that we, we are becoming more and more like Jesus, where we're becoming Christ-like, we're, we're walking in holiness. But now sanctification is not something that we grow into. Sanctification is something that we grow in. Do you follow that? So, so you come to Christ, you, you, you finally allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and you give yourself over to the Lord Jesus Christ and you are justified in that moment. Your sin is forgiven in that moment. You have been pardoned. And also in that moment, you have been sanctified. But from there on in, it's a journey of sanctification. We grow not into sanctification. We grow in our sanctification. It's progressive. And hopefully, as we mature in our faith walk, we grow deeper and deeper in our relationship with God. We grow in Christ-likeness. That's, that's the goal. That's what God would have for us. Now, in, in Christian worlds... We, instead of going to scripture to understand the scripture, we, we tend to enter into the scripture with already our, our preconceived ideas and, and our thoughts and, and our theories. And so we read them through, through this lens. Now, if you've been around church world for any amount of time, you don't have thoughts or theories. You have your theologies. And so we come into certain texts looking at through the lens of our theology. And so we wrestle with these things and, and, and we already kind of know what they mean. And so we're going to come into them already knowing what they mean. But I believe that's a, that's a hindrance to maybe what God would have for us. Now, I'm not, I'm, not, um, I'm not saying that having proper theology is a bad thing. But sometimes it, cl- it clouds what God may be wanting to do. And here, it's definitely clear that, that this whole uh, text from 6 through 10 is speaking about justification. It's speaking about our sanctification. But the problem is we will enter into this with our own experiences. And some people will just gloss right over it. Because it doesn't really make sense. It's a little too hard to understand. So I'm just going to read through that and get to something that I do understand. Or, or even a bigger danger is that we take things out of the context in which it was written and then we make it fit what we want it to say. That's a very popular thing in Christianity, in church worlds. Have you ever heard it? God bless you. Have you ever heard of the verse in Matthew 18 that says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am with them or there I am. That is the single most misquoted verse in the history of misquoting verses. Because that is written in the context of church discipline. What it means is that, that Jesus is saying, where two or three are gathered going to confront a brother or a sister in their sin, I am with them. If they're doing it in my name. It's not to be used sitting around in a prayer room or when two people are out in the mall saying, you know, we're going shopping and what well, we're, we're gathered together and we're kind of in Jesus' name. So he must be with us. And that's how it's misused. And so it's very, con- I can hear some of you going, oh, snap, really? 
I still love you. Don't worry about it. And, and so it's very common for us to misuse scripture. We have to come to it with almost with a clean slate and allow God to reaffirm in us the truths that he would have for us. Scripture is so deep with meaning. It's why, it's, it's why we read the book all the time. It's, it's why we always come back to it. Because there's, there's so much to be learned and gleaned from it. And so we need to take this, these verses, in the context of where they were written, how they were written. John's writing, he, he, writes, he writes in pictures. Paul's writing, he would write more academic or intellectual. But John's writing, he writes in pictures. And we have to understand them in that sense. We have to take them and understand what he's trying to get at. Because if we literalize, I don't even know if that's a real word. But if we literalize the picture, we, are, we could get ourselves in trouble. Because look what it says in verse 7 right off the bat. If we walk in the light. Now remember we said that God is light. God is perfect. There is per, he is perfect holy. Holiness, perfect righteousness. There isn't a stain, a blemish. There is nothing. And it says here, if we walk in the light as he, God, is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus will purify us from all our sin. And, and if we take that, if we take that for its literal meaning, we're in danger of, we're in danger of teaching a very dangerous, troublesome doctrine. And it's the doctrine of perfectionism. There is nothing that is more damaging to a follower of Jesus than telling them their behavior needs to be perfect. It only leads to a life of guilt and shame. And it's, and it's contrary to the gospel. I have seen so many people walk away because they just couldn't measure up. Because they were told they had to be up here. And so he says... If we walk in the light, he loves this phrase. He uses it in his gospel. We walk in the light as God is in the light. Do you see how if we, if we take this in the literal sense to literally be forgiven that you need to be perfect? You're going to crush people. Because we cannot be perfect. There is nothing in us that could be perfect. If you go for perfectionism, you're going to experience heartbreak, guilt, shame, and, and all kinds of other mean, nasty, ugly things. If we could be perfect, then Jesus wasted a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of blood. And so... Remember, we talked about walking in the darkness. Walking in the darkness is, is walking in a different kingdom other than God's kingdom. And, and you know, it, please understand this. People who walk in darkness aren't people that are out there killing, maiming, robbing, shooting. I mean, I mean maybe they are, uh, but, but it's just not those people. People who are walking in darkness can be very respectable, loving, generous people. They could be people that you want to be friends with. They could be people that you are friends with. They can have a very high moral standard, a good work ethic. The reason why they walk in darkness is not because of their behavior. 
The reason why they walk in darkness is because they walk outside of the light of the gospel. That's why they walk in darkness. The Bible would say that they belong to the world and not to the kingdom of God. And so as as we unpack this idea of light and walking in the light, we have to come at it with the same perspective, the way John has has intended it to be, which means that when you walk in the light, you are walking in the kingdom of God, that you have fellowship with him through Jesus Christ. And you have that fellowship with all your unworthiness and all of your brokenness. And all of the things that that you feel shameful about. See, God is the God of the kingdom of light. And you walk there with him because of Jesus. In spite of you. Paul would say it like this in Colossians. He would say that we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness. and, And brought into the kingdom of his son. It's really important that we understand this as a church, as people, as individuals, because there's this, there's this thing out there that I've run into, and, and it's, it's a false teaching that says that people who really walk in the light, those are the, those are the special Christians. Those, those, are the ones that, that, those are the ones that carry their Bible everywhere with them, and, and they have it in the little Bible cover. And those are, those are the people that, that just seem to have arrived a little bit. And they seem to be able to regurgitate chapter and verse really easy. And when they walk into the room and the doors swing open, the light is shining from behind them. And you can just hear the, oh, and you, feel, and you just know that they're walking in the lights. I have met many godly men and women that you can just feel the Holy Spirit buzz from them. You know, I mean, you can just like, you just like, you want to just hug them and ask them to be your mommy or daddy. But the truth of the matter is this. Every Christian walks in the light. Every Christian walks in the light, no matter how unworthy, no matter how weak, or no matter how broken you are. Because you are either a Christian and walking in the light, or you're not, and you're walking in darkness. It truly is an either or. And so professing Christ, professing Christ as your Savior, as your everything, as as your need, as your desire, you've changed from darkness to light and you walk in His kingdom. It doesn't make you perfect. All right, so let's put some rubber to the road here. Um, in order to walk this light, you, you cannot walk there without repentance. You cannot walk without repenting. You cannot walk in, t- in the light unless you come to an understanding of and acceptance of sin the way we discussed it last week that we were born into it that we are shaped by it it's part of our very nature that we are born into this world slaves of sin and see you have to get that you have to understand that you have to accept that 
And by understanding that, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, there's this sadness that wells up within us. And in that sadness, there's a desire. There's a desire to be made right with God. There's a desire to be forgiven. And in that desire, in that desire, we turn to him through Jesus Christ. And we walk in forgiveness. We walk in the light. That's what it means to repent. Do you see why it's so important to understand the nature of sin? To repent means that we realize who we are without Christ. And we accept him and what he has given us. And so people who are walking in the light are people who are are honestly seeking the Lord. Not in perfection, but they're seeking the things of God. They They have a heart and a soul desire to be in relationship with him and to deepen that relationship with him. People who walk in the light come to a place of recognizing that the life they once lived is just out of out of harmony with the things of the Lord. And they desire to walk in a different rhythm, a sacred and holy rhythm. And they come to Christ and they come to Jesus and they come to a place of repenting. And we as a church, we need to understand that. Because there's too many churches that focus on our behavior. And we're going to get to that. So you're not off the hook yet. We also have to understand as a church, as for us here, we have to be able to speak to the extremes that come into this doctrine of lights. And the first extreme is that we need to separate ourselves from all the mean, nasty, ugly people out there. And then, and then we just have to wall ourselves up and just stay put because we don't want to get all dirty with all that sin and evil yuck that's out in the world. And unfortunately, excuse me, that's where some forms of monasticism have, be, have started. It's where they find some of, the, some of the, um, the, the forms of traditions have found their roots in just not wanting to deal with those people and just hold up in, in caves back then and, and in places because they just don't want anything to do with them. And that's an extreme that we cannot afford as the church to take part in. And the other extreme... And this is where it's going to get a little dicey for us. The other extreme is that our behavior just doesn't matter. See, behavior really does matter. How you live your life actually matters. Now, I, I know some of you are thinking, oh, wait a minute. You just, you just said, you know, we can't, and, and that, and really? And that, all right, hang with me. We're going to unpack this for a few minutes, and then you can leave. Okay, we are not justified by our good works. We are not, we do not find favor with God because we're good people. Living a good life, better than them, not, I'm not as bad as those, living a good life doesn't make us Christian. Are we on the same page? Good. A work centric salvation theology. (laughs) I've made that up. You can Google that. I don't think it's out there. But a work-centric salvation theology is not biblical. It is not biblical. And people will argue that point. 
and I will tell them that they're wrong, and I have the entire Bible to back me up. And so it is through grace, it is by grace, through faith, that we have been saved. So no one gets to brag about it. No one can say, I'm good enough. God saved me, but you, yeah, not so much. So it is not by works that we have been saved. But then, and then throughout the writings in the Bible, there are verses like this. Or do you, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. How do we reconcile that to the gospel? How do we reconcile that to not by works, but by grace and faith. You see, it's, it's, it's about the feeling that people feel this weight. They feel the weight of their sin. And really, that's only from the Holy Spirit. That they feel the weight and the brokenness of it. And they, and they see themselves as just not wanting to be there anymore. And they know that they can't save themselves. And some people just don't know what else to do, where to turn. There's something that just doesn't sit right anymore. And their eyes have been opened to the gospel, to Christ. There's no more joy in these things for them. In fact, there's, there's, a, there's a sadness when we walk in the light. It is, it is useless to say that you believe something and live a life like you believe nothing. It is faith that does not lead to any action is not faith. At least not what the Bible talks about. It's not enough to accept the the scriptural teachings in the Bible as just some philosophical text and just do nothing really about it, not respond to it. So you can actually, I I believe you can, you could, uh, you could say no to the Holy Spirit. Proof of our faith proof of us walking in the light is that we have allowed the Holy Spirit to change the atmosphere of our soul and the posture of our hearts. And these things just don't hold the excitement or the joy for us anymore. When the Lord changes you from the inside, then things begin to change on the outside. And I will say that to you till I am blue in the face or the Lord calls me home or to Montana. I really want to retire there. I like the snow. Now, please, please hear me. Please, please understand. Look at me. Look at me straight in the face. This is not about you being perfect. It's not about you being perfect. This is, 
This is you walking in the light with Christ, with all of your imperfections with you. This is you walking in the light, even even in your sin. But thank God, thank God for the cross that forgives our sin. Thank God for the cross that we can be pardoned and justified and sanctified. It's not about you being perfect, but it's about your heart surrendered over to the Lord. And walking in that light. See, the difference between, and and I hate to use this, this phrase, but the difference between us and them is it... The difference between us and them is we, we have repented and we seek our refuge in the cross of Christ. Now there's one last thing that I really need to touch on before um, we leave this morning. And it's the idea of, of confession. Verse 9 It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Remember, John is talking about uh, things that are going to come and kind of mess up our fellowship, our relationship with God. So why would me not confessing my sin, which God already knows what my sin is. Why would me not confessing my sin mess up my relationship with God? It's a great question. Thank you for asking. I do have an answer this morning. And, and it's simply put, the light reveals the things that hide in the darkness. The light reveals those things that hide in the darkness. And if we refuse to face our sin, we are avoiding the light. And if we are avoiding the light, we are avoiding God. And if you're avoiding God, you're, you're, you're resisting the work of the Holy Spirit that's in you. And if you're not being honest with yourself, then you cannot be honest with your relationship, in your relationship with God. Confession is an essential piece because it keeps us open to the work of God's light in us because we have to let it search us. We have to let it search us and we have to let it know us. We have to let it reveal the darkness that's within us. And we have to be honest with that. Confession is our act of facing our own darkness, our own brokenness, our own sin, coming to terms with it. It says, it says, you know what, I'm not going to try to rationalize my sin. I'm not going to try to balance. If I can get just a little bit more good and it outweighs the bad, then, then, then I'll be okay. Confession comes face to face with it. And it makes us realize that we need Christ. Walking in the light will show us those things in us that stand contrary to God. And confession opens our heart and our soul up to the healing work of the Holy Spirit. So as we walk in the light, that means you've repented. You've come to terms with sin and it weighs heavy on you. And you turn to Christ and Christ alone for your forgiveness. And as you walk in the light... That light reveals that stuff that's inside us all and that God wants to deal with and cut out and and burn away 
and heal and put back together. That's what confession does. It opens our heart and soul to the working of the Holy Spirit that we can be made whole. And as we are being made whole, being put back together, we grow in our sanctification. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word, even though sometimes it's difficult to hear. And Lord, I pray that, I pray God that we would find hope in these, these verses. Your word tells us that there is no condemnation for those who walk with Jesus, but there is forgiveness and hope. And wholeness. Lord, I pray that we would not look to your graces as some cheap grace. That you would continue to shine your light into each one of us. Continue to call us into a deeper, deeper place with you. May your grace and your peace, which is beyond our understanding, may it rest with us every day of our lives and all that we do and all that we say. I want to give you all a moment to begin the dialogue of confession with the Lord. And just do it quietly. Maybe for some of you, you just have to begin to let the light in. The Lord is telling some of you that you are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are loved. There is nothing that he cannot forgive. There is nothing too big. There is nothing too bad. It's his good pleasure to hear your prayer of confession and to forgive, to make whole and to heal. Some of you are way too hard on yourself. 
believe the Lord wants to tell you, stop it. Some of you are carrying around sin that's already been forgiven. I believe the Lord wants to tell you, stop it. I've taken care of that. It's done. Someone here is afraid to come to the Lord with that. His perfect love will cast out that fear. Amen. Today is a new day. Today is a new day. Today is a new day. And the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I want to encourage you, some of you, you might want to continue on in a time of prayer. And we have some men and women up here that will be more than happy to pray for you. Uh, let's remember to keep Sue's family in prayer and Eileen and her family in prayer. And I will see you guys next week. I love you.